Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. This Sunday, we are beginning a at least 22-week, maybe a little bit longer series through the letter uh, to the churches called Revelation. So if you're not familiar with where that is, it's in the very back of your Bible, and we're all familiar with Revelation, aren't we? In fact, Revelation is one of those books that we struggle with. And so I really wanted to, to dive into a, a, a season going through the book of Revelation. If you've got your Bibles, open it up to the back of your Bible, and just in front of all the maps and pictures of Jesus, you'll find Revelation. Um, if you've got your Bible app, you can certainly open it up as well. But too often, Revelation is preached or taught, and we really struggle with the contents of this letter to the churches. We either walk away in fear or we, uh, we, we walk away with such uncertainty and we saw, start watching the news and expecting to see the very things we read in Revelation unfolding on the television. And what we tend to do, though, is we walk away from Revelation missing out on what it is really intended for. And I'm not saying that you're wrong, but what I'm saying is we, we must look at Revelation through the lens that is given to us by God, not by pop culture or pop teachers. And so this sermon series will be is titled Blessed. And this is actually what Revelation is all about, is being blessed. And, and I want us to look at Revelation the right way, because we oftentimes in our culture respond to revelation in any number of ways but what a lot of people do and, and a lot of those bible teachers that have like the big, big maps or uh, a lot of certainty they, they in fact have bold certainty people walk around and they will live or die on the hill of their view of revelation like i know how it's going to happen nobody else understands it like i do and you're wrong if you don't think about it the same way i do and Sadly, that's actually um, pretty new in the, in the realm of Christian thought. Uh, for about 2,000 years, people have struggled with revelation and had differing views. So that bold certainty, while it looks appealing, can oftentimes be misleading. Others of us, we read revelation, we walk away, we're just questioning fear. Like, what does any of that mean? Should I really be scared of things with scorpions' tails and people's faces? And, uh, you know, what about dragons? dragons and uh what about things that fall out of the sky that are burning i'm really kind of scared uh, when i was a child i sat in a uh, under tim LaHaye. he was actually the sunday night preacher at the church that we attended in northern virginia and some of you are like i don't know who that is others of you you do you've read the left behind books you know who tim LaHaye is and he was like the consummate top tier teacher in Revelation. And as I'm sitting as a sixth grader in Revelation, hearing this preaching uh, from Tim LaHaye, I had some of the most vivid and scary nightmares of my entire life uh, in, uh, under that, that kind of teaching. And so this questioning fear, a lot of us, we've had so many people, so many friends who've maybe uh, 
cut us off or people who have have cast us aside or we've heard so many different views on revelation in our time that we are just exhausted with it and we've gotten to the point that we don't want to hear anybody else talk about revelation because i've heard about it enough and it's just all going to happen how it happens and jesus is going to take care of things And then there are some people who look at Revelation and think, well, it's completely irrelevant to us. It's all just stories and fables and symbols, so who cares? Now, it's not uncommon in church history for folks to struggle with Revelation, to to not quite grasp how to apply it in life. In fact, throughout church history and even today, there are four major streams of interpreting Revelation that we, we, we see in scholarship. Forgive me, today the words are coming difficult. Like it's just, it's not flowing easily. And so, um, which you think, Michael, you only work an hour a week. You ought to be able to do this. Yeah, I know. So please forgive me. The words are not coming easy for me today. Hopefully I'll start flowing as we get into some scripture. Four different views regarding the interpretation of Revelation. Number one is the preterist view. And the preterist view really, it hinges upon the view or the idea that Revelation is all about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and the destruction of the temple and really the ending of the people of Israel in that era. And so the preterist view says everything in Revelation has already been done. We don't even need to worry about it. The historicist view looks at Revelation and sees in it an unfolding story that expands over the whole of church history. And that every era of church history, and especially every church in the letter of Revelation, is is a, a picture of different eras and persons in church history. If you are familiar with the Reformation in the 1500s, Martin Luther and John Calvin both saw in Revelation and the beast, they they knew it was the Pope of their day. They were certain that the Pope was the beast and it was starting to unfold and, and things had already happened from Revelation, but they could really nail down in the timeline where they were. And so there had been this view that it is an ongoing unfolding of church history. And then there's the idealist view that looks at Revelation and goes, well, it's all symbolic and nobody gets it. So whatever you believe about it's cool. And then there's the futurist view, which says that everything in Revelation from chapter four on is still yet to come. Now, the reason I lay all of these out is apart from the preterist view, which we think is for the most part untenable in its extreme form, Because Jesus hasn't come back yet, and we're not living in a perfect new creation yet. The other three streams of interpretation have been widely accepted in Christian history, in church history. So if you have a friend or a relative who espouses one of these other views of of Revelation, or maybe you yourself do, you're not a heretic and neither are they. That Revelation has always been for the church, except for maybe the churches that originally received this letter, it's always been a little difficult for folks to wrap their head around and understand. So let's get into Revelation and try and get the nuts and the bolts and try and understand the history of it and begin to look into what Revelation says about itself. Because if we're going to come into Revelation and look at it as um, being able to, to tell us the future in a sense of exactly what people and places and times we might be 
disappointed or mistaken. Also, though, if we discount it completely and just push it aside and say it's irrelevant to us, we are mistaken because it is as much the word of God as any of the other letters to churches. So we need to know three things about the book of Revelation, the letter of Revelation, just to get us started. Let's, let's imagine things we want to know about a letter. Who did it come from? When did they write it? And why did they write it? That's, you get a piece of mail and you don't, don't know who it's from. You're opening it up and the first thing you want to know is, who is this from? Is this important or not? You know, if it's from, uh, if it's a bill, it's not, of course, just get rid of it. If it's, uh, you know, if it's from grandma, right, you open it up, there could be cash, um, right? I mean, that's, that's how it was for me as a kid. And then, then I had kids of my own and grandma stopped sending me money. <sighs> anyway, so we want to know who wrote it, when did they write it, and why did they write it? And so we can look in, in, in the, the letter itself, in, in the letter of Revelation itself, we can find very clearly, and we'll look at this more over the coming days, that this was written by the Apostle John. Now it says it is of John, his servant John, Jesus' servant John, and, and the best uh, indication we have is it was the Apostle John. There, there's some uh, historical um, data that, that kind of shows this, and I'll share that here in just a moment. Now, when did he write this? Because when John wrote this letter, the date of its writing kind of helps us determine what his purpose was. Was it for people who were going to watch something specific happen or is it for people who are looking forward to something specific happening? So people who are preterists, they believe that all of Revelation was fulfilled around AD 70 when Jerusalem fell, when the temple was destroyed. That Revelation is all about the judgment of the Jewish people for rejecting the Messiah. They believe that it had to have been written sometime in A.D. 65 to 69 under Nero, Emperor Nero, uh, and before the fall of Jerusalem, right? If Jerusalem falls in A.D. 70, to be a prophecy, it kind of has to be written before A.D. 70. If it's written after A.D. 70, is it a very good prophecy? No, it's not really sharing much that you don't already know. That would be like giving a prophecy that in 1980, Ronald Reagan will become president. Isn't that profound? Everybody go, yeah, duh. Stupid. That guy's an idiot. So it, the early date is necessary for preterists. But because we reject full preterism, in other words, we don't believe that all of Revelation has been completely fulfilled, we don't think the early date is right. So we, and, and tradition, adhere to a later date, AD 85 to 92. This is the traditional date, and, and it actually has more proof as to when it was written. There were some church leaders. One, one, his name was Irenaeus. And he wrote in the middle 100s. He actually was a, a, a strong leader in the church, refuted a couple of very profound and powerful heresies that were trying to destroy Christianity. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. And Polycarp was the first noted Christian martyr. While many people had died for their faith, Polycarp is one of the big major ones. He was martyred um, in, in the late 90s, early 100s, and, and he gave his life uh, burned at the stake. 
uh, while singing hymns. What doesn't that sound cool? I mean, that's not what I want to do, but good for Polycarp, right? I mean, wow, he got to stand up for the faith and give his life for Jesus. Well, it's believed that Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. And so if Polycarp taught Irenaeus about Revelation and John had taught Polycarp, it makes perfect sense that if Irenaeus says this is when it was written and it was written by the Apostle John, then we go, sounds pretty good to me because there is a direct line of historical transference from Irenaeus back to John. And so we take the word of Irenaeus. So we think it was written in AD 85 to 92. And what is important about this date, both of these dates, in fact, is that Christians are undergoing harsh persecution. In the early date, it would have been under the emperor Nero, and in the later date, under the emperor Diocletian. And so we have these these two different time frames. While both of them are acceptable to a certain extent, we take the later one as being more reasonable and more historically accurate. And why is this important? Well, because we know that in this time frame, there is intense persecution going on in the church. People are suffering. They are dying for the sake of Jesus Christ. And if you believe that God loves you and that he wants good things for you, and yet you're watching your friends and family die for that sake, the sake of what you believe, doesn't it become a little discouraging? Doesn't it become a little difficult to, to, to say, hey, I, I, it, it all looks good to me still, when you're watching people you care for die under persecution? And that is the purpose of this letter. As we look at at that date and we look at the persecution that's going on is that Jesus gives this letter to the Apostle John to show God's sovereignty in history and to promise that everything will culminate. Everything will find its true and perfect ending in Christ Jesus alone. And that everyone who believes on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will find blessedness, will find rescue, will find eternal life in a perfected earth. And so John is is writing this letter to these people who are undergoing persecution to encourage them in the faith. Now we can look at that today and we can go automatically, I get why revelation can be important for us too. Not that we're undergoing persecution so much. We do have brothers and sisters who are terribly persecuted in the world today. Are you aware of that? Do you know that there are believers today who are dying for the sake of their Christian faith? And we complain because the barista at Starbucks won't say Merry Christmas anymore, right? We think that's persecution, that there are thousands of believers in Nigeria who have lost their life over the last few months. Churches burned to the ground and destroyed, and not just lost their life in some neat and tidy way, but gruesome deaths. Christians in India right now are undergoing persecution. They are being chased out of places. They are being uh, cast aside. They, They are being not hunted down with the loss of life, but, but hunted down and rooted out in hopes to shame them for their faith. It, it, is, it is a thing where we look at persecution and we think, well, life's a little rough, but real persecution is life-altering and destroying. And the truth is, is we probably have greater persecution to look forward to. And so this letter is important for us. 
So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, open it up to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And Shelley graciously read all those for us earlier, but let's read them again together as you look at what God's Word says. Now I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, one of the great modern translations that we have. If it doesn't read just like your translation, it's okay. Each translation is different, but all of them are based on the same original Greek letter that was written way back so long ago by the Apostle John. So Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So let's begin to look at this. And as I read it again, I'm like, I don't know that I'll get through this today. So it, we could be in Revelation for a couple of years. Who knows? Revelation 1 verses 1. John's cool. Man, you are a glutton for punishment. That's the problem. Thursday night study, we only got through a verse and a half. You know, that's, that's because of people like John. Revelation 1 verses 1 and 2. It, it makes it very clear what this is. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take. Take place. Now, we read that and we kind of gloss over it. When we're reading, we're reading in the beginning of a letter like this, oftentimes this, this prologue, this introduction, we kind of just breeze through it. We're like wanting to get to the meaty stuff, right? Get me to the dragons and the beasts because that's the stuff I want to know. But, but it's important to really wrap our head around what this is and why it's given to us. And this is the revelation. Now that word revelation, it, it is in the original language, it is apocalypsis. Um, and, and so most of us, we're familiar with, with what we would think of that word, right? Apocalypsis, apocalypse, the end, the unveiling of it all. And that's literally what it means. And, and this is an idea that God is revealing to his people things that they have previously not known things that they were uncertain of, things that maybe they had questions about. And so as the church is undergoing persecution, God wants to give them some new answers. And it is the revelation, the apocalypse, the revealing. The revealing of what? Because as we read the letter, we might tend to think it is the revealing of the beast. It's the revealing of the Antichrist. It's the revealing of the false prophet. It's the revealing of the time frame of when it's all going to happen. But what is it that's being revealed? Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the way that this phrase is formulated in the original language, it can be both about Jesus and belonging to Jesus. 
And so this revelation is both about Jesus and it is, it's his precious gift for his people. So when we read this letter, we, we need to understand its intent is not to reveal to us things that are supposed to be scary, but it is intended to reveal to us Jesus and his power and his authority and his redemption for us who believe. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants. Now, as we watch this unfold, I really love that phrase, that God gave him. Now, when we talk about Jesus and God, we are talking about the same God, but two different persons in the Godhead. Jesus is the second person, the Son. When it says God here, whom do you think we're speaking of? The Father the first person of the Trinity. And so we, we see, much like Jesus revealed to us his relationship with the Father, the first person of the Trinity, in his time in ministry, we see that, that this relationship is still intact, that the, the first and second persons are still working together to reveal, to save, to redeem. And it's interesting that this revelation of Jesus Christ was given to Jesus by the Father. Now, when Jesus spoke of the end times at the end of Matthew in chapters 24 and 25, he reveals to his disciples that no one knows the time when this will happen. Not even the angels or the son, but only the father himself. So when we see this, that the father is revealing to the son what is going to take place and revealing through the son what will take place. We see it is the father who knew all along. Of course, now the son knows too. And who else knows? Well, we do. Because it's for us to show his servants. And what is he showing us? What must soon take place? Now, there is a lot of discussion about soon when we talk about Revelation. If Revelation was written in A.D., between 87, 92, maybe as late as 95, does it feel soon? Does it feel like the things that God is talking about have happened soon? No, it, it kind of doesn't. Because soon, for us, what does soon mean? I mean, I hope Michael finishes soon. That's by noon, because I'm already thinking about lunch. In fact, I've got plans. I'm going downstairs for spaghetti. Soon is that very next thing that's going to happen in my life. And, and soon, I, I hope that soon I, I am able to get a new car. And, you know, we're talking about that kind of stuff. It's not someday, long time from now, but soon, like this week or next week or soon, we hope. But what we must understand about God and the way that he accounts for time is that soon is oftentimes in Scripture the next thing to happen on God's calendar. And Peter tells us that, that to the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. That is not a formula for determining how God experiences time. What it is instead is a statement that God is outside of time as we know it. And so when God says something is soon, it doesn't mean in 10 minutes. It means the next thing on my calendar for my people is this. 
And so we can look even going back into the Old Testament that there were prophecies given of a Messiah, prophecies given of a coming king who would rescue his people. And that the, the, the people of God were looking forward to it and they were excited about it. And do you know how long it took before that prophecy, those prophecies began to come true? At least 400 years for the ones that were the newest. Thousands of years for the ones that were the oldest. And so when God says something will happen, we can know it will happen. And when he says it will happen soon, he's saying to us, the very next thing on my calendar are these events. The things that matter to my people in their redemption story and in the the culmination of what I want to do in and through them, this is it. This is what's going to happen. It's going to be soon. And here's how it happened. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So the father revealed the message to the son who gave it to an angel who took it to John. And John is now giving it to us. And and John, he testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. John did not share his own thoughts or opinions. He shared to the best of his ability what he saw. And it tells us elsewhere that this is, this is a vision that he's receiving. He wasn't given this, this book and said, write these words. He had an experience and then had to describe it with his own words. Can you guys kind of wrap your head around that? Have you ever gone on a vacation or you've experienced something and you come back and try and describe it to somebody else and you simply cannot do it justice? Even even a picture, we'll take a picture and we'll go, here's the picture, but man, it's so much better in person. Have you ever ever done that? And that's that's John's task here, is to see something that is like, and to try and to put it into words that others will understand. And so this is a task that none of us would have wanted. And of course, it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it's still, it's words of man trying to express a vision from God. So John is going to write this and he is going to reveal to us everything that he has seen. Now, uh, this is to me, chapter 1, verse 3, probably one of the most important verses in all of Revelation. And if you did just get nothing else out of this series, you simply take 22 to 24 weeks of great naps. I want you to get this one verse. Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it. Because the time is near. Now, we, we read this, and oftentimes, like I said, in a prologue like this, or in the introduction to a letter like this, we'll just read through it quick and kind of go, yeah, 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 get me to the good stuff. But we need to pause and, and really ponder this a little bit and understand a couple of things about this letter to the churches. Number one, it is prophecy. And the work of prophecy, we have gotten in our minds that biblical prophecy is all about telling the future. It's not much different than going to someone with a crystal ball and asking them to to tell you what tomorrow is going to be. Having someone read your palm and tell you when you're going to die or who you're going to marry. 
that we've gotten that mindset regarding prophecy. But when we read back through the Old Testament where we get our standard for what biblical prophecy is, we see that biblical prophecy is not just a foretelling of the future, though some prophecy does include that. But the majority, the overwhelming majority of Old Testament prophecy is a declaration of guilt and oftentimes includes a call to repentance. In other words, when we read prophecy, when we see that word, when we think about prophecy, we should not be thinking necessarily about simply looking towards the future, but instead we should be reading it in light of our current spiritual condition and saying, what would God have for us to do with this? That we don't look at it and simply say, this is applicable someday, and I'll watch the news to find out when it starts. But instead, when we see what prophecy is meant to do, we read this whole letter and we go, this all has meaning for me today. How will I respond? The second thing we see in in biblical prophecy is a foretelling, not necessarily of the future in the sense of events unfolding, but the foretelling of a promise. When we look at all of the messianic prophecy in the Old Testament, its purpose is not to tell us so much what's going to happen, but that there's someone coming who will save us. Do you see the difference? It's not concerned with dates and times and places so much as it is with us understanding, I'm coming for you. I will save you. You will be rescued. Don't worry about the date. Don't worry about the time. But know the promise is sure. And so the the letter to the churches, the letter to us that's called Revelation, we should read it and say, what are the promises in here for us? What is God telling us that is sure and certain? Now, also, what prophecy was meant to do was to foretell, to tell of things that were coming, not so that we could sit back and be freaked out or know when to hide or when to crack open the freeze-dried food, but instead so that we could be genuinely prepared spiritually. I've heard a couple of people preach recently on Jesus telling the parable of the ten virgins, ten virgins, not ten versions. That sounded like a different parable that isn't in scripture. Um, But it's in Matthew, in Matthew, and it's in chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25. And I just want to read it kind of quickly and and to to help you understand what I mean by foretelling for preparation. Because Jesus in Matthew 24 and, and following in Matthew 25 is talking about the last days and talking about judgment. And we think specifically he's talking about the coming destruction of the temple, but it applies to all of us when it comes to both the bad times for today and the bad times yet to come. And so Jesus is telling the terrible, the, the parable of the 10 versions in verse in chapter 25, starting in verse one, at that time. And in other words, at the end of time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 versions who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here comes the groom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. 
The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, master, master, open up for us. He replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. You see, Jesus is is telling the disciples there is a time coming where there there will be nothing beyond it. You must be prepared for this end of time, these last days, this day of judgment. And it's like this. People who were invited to be part of an intimate ceremony. And some of them took it seriously and they lived like it would really happen at any moment. And some who made light of it and began to doubt it would happen at all. And the ones who lived in light of it being a truth and a promise that was sure, they were ready when the day came and they were welcomed into fellowship. And those who treated it like it was an uncertainty or a game, they were cast out because they played games with their faith. And, and that's what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples there. It's what John is trying to tell us in the whole letter of Revelation is that I want you to know these things so you will be prepared. Not so you can stock up enough food or ammunition. That's not what I'm talking about. But so that you will take your faith seriously. So when this day comes, you will not be caught unaware and cast out. For telling for preparation. And then finally, the prophets prophets spoke of the future in an effort to reform the present. When we read in the Old Testament and there's a prophecy of the future, it's always with the intent of getting people today to live differently. When, when we see the promises of the Messiah, we see the promises of destruction, we see the promises of renewal all throughout the Old Testament, it is meant to, to get people to look at where they're at in the moment and respond differently. So we have this view of prophecy, and if we're looking at Revelation then, and we look at how prophecy is supposed to work, we begin to read this whole letter, and instead of freaking out over it, or instead of, of looking at it as, as some sort of timeline that must be fulfilled you know, perfectly according to the news, we begin to read it and go, what are the promises in here for us? What, what is it that we're being called to repent of or renew ourselves in? Where are we supposed to be being prepared according to this prophecy? And what about today in our lives should change in light of what's to come? And so when we look at at, at this biblical prophecy and, and understand it for what it's meant to do, it becomes for us a blessing. Instead of Revelation being this letter where we are completely freaked out about everything we don't understand, what we can do is we can read and the things that we do understand and the promises that we do see and the calls to repentance that we do read and the preparations that we, set, that we see we're supposed to be taking, we can grab a hold of those things and make them part of our life and be blessed. 
Now that word blessed, and we've talked about it in the past, we, we see it in other places throughout scripture. Jesus begins his sermon on the mount with the, the beatitudes, which are all begin with blessed are those. And, and that word blessed, it means literally happy, content, fulfilled. Can you wrap your head around that? Revelation, as you and I read it over the coming weeks and months, is supposed to make us happy, content, fulfilled in our faith. This is the intent of the letter. This is why God gave it to John to write, is he wants his people to be able to look at what is coming and the persecution that is already here and say, it's okay because I've got all that I need. It's okay because I'm going to be spiritually prepared. It's all good because I've repented of that misdeed or that wrong way of thinking and I'm right with God. So as it unfolds, I have nothing to fear. It says this, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. We must understand that all of the New Testament letters, the first way that they would have been experienced by the church would not have been that everybody got a copy of it to sit down and do a letter study. Instead, a messenger or the pastor of the church would have stood up and read the one copy of the letter that they had allowed to everyone to hear. Can you wrap your head around them? Let's let's read all of Revelation today. And your job is to sit there through the whole thing and get something from it. And yet that's how the, the, the early church would have really interacted with scripture in their communal gatherings was to hear it read aloud and maybe a short sermon expounding on it and trying to explain it. But the real blessing, the real joy, the real hope begins in reading it and reading it aloud. So first, this first blessing, it's for me. A lot of pastors are scared to death and I have been previously to preach on Revelation. Why? Because we have different backgrounds and opinions about how to believe it and apply it. But I am just gonna lean in hard on this blessing for reading it aloud. But there's a blessing for you too. Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it. So not just listen, but do what it says. We had a memory verse during our treasure. If you remember uh, there back there from uh, James chapter 1. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so the blessing comes, not when we just hear this word, but when we respond to what the word says to us and do what it says. And so as we go through Revelation, we are going to hear, or we're going to read God's, uh, this word. We're going to hear it. And the goal is that every week we're going to find something that we can obey. That we can walk away with a promise or a challenge or a preparedness that we can obey in our Christian walk. So that we can live out this blessing where we'll be content, we'll be happy, we'll be prepared for the future. Because we've interacted with this letter. And why is this so important? Because the time is near. And what is the time that's near? The return of Jesus Christ, the end of days. That is the very next thing on God's calendar. Now you might go, wait, it's been 2,000 years already. Yes, I know. 
But we've got a calendar on the, uh, the door at our house, and I'm the one that has to have everything written up there because I forget stuff terribly. I, I get like, I'm thinking so many things like Star Wars and Star Trek, and then there's Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then you've got DC, and there's just so much important stuff in here, and I forget calendar dates terribly. And, and, but I can always look at the calendar and know what's the next big thing coming. And you know what's interesting is I don't always look at the next day. I usually look at the next event. The next big thing on our calendar is what's near to me. And, and so, you know, I'm looking forward to this coming week. I've got a, a, a little conference over in Finleyville uh, that, that's going to be amazing. And then, then this weekend, we're going to go to, to Ohio to have dinner with, with my son and his family. But, you know, what's near in time is not necessarily Monday. But on my calendar, what's near in time is a conference and, and my son next, next Saturday and his family and the grandkids. Yeah. And, and, and so it's not necessarily the next day, but it is the next big thing on my calendar. When we're talking about the time being near, the next big thing on God's calendar is the return of Jesus Christ and the consummation of time under his lordship. And so as we read this letter, we, we need to understand that while the early Christians were looking at the calendar and going, yeah, that's the next big thing, and it didn't come in their day, it could be true for us as well, that it won't come in our day. But you know what's just as possible to be true? It could happen right now. Or right now. Or right now. Or in 20 minutes. Or in a week. Or in 5,000 years. It's the next big thing. But we must be ready. Because we don't know when it will happen. Oh my goodness. This is going to take longer than I thought. So what we're going to do is skip like 20 slides and go right to the application because it's time. Revelation. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand it's meant to be a blessing for the church. If you have avoided revelation because you don't understand it, I understand. It's time to get over that. If you've been afraid of revelation, it's time to stop being afraid. If you have, have you know, thought that you knew everything and you know exactly how this is going to unfold and you've been watching whatever news channel you like, waiting for everything to happen, listen, there's more to this than that. It's not meant to just be a checklist. It is meant to be a blessing for you. And the challenge for us in the coming weeks and months will be to read it, to hear it. But as much as anything, what's most important is that we obey what we read and hear. And so every week, my goal will be, as we read it and you hear it, to give us all something to obey as we walk out the door. Now, what is that this week? Well, let's read it and hear it and obey it. I ask you to commit to this. I know you can't be here every Sunday, but if you really want to experience the blessing of revelation, you need to do your best to be engaged. I know some of you work on Sundays or you're going to have to watch on the live stream to stay caught up. Do that. Wonderful. 
But don't wonder when we're halfway through and you've only heard three sermons why you're lost and don't feel blessed yet. Because you're missing out if you're not here. Reading, hearing, and obeying. Because we need to understand that, that revelation, it serves to encourage us in light of God's reign over this world, his sovereignty, and our salvation in Jesus Christ. And it gives us an opportunity to enter the difficult times of our lives and of unfolding history, both prepared and hopeful. Why can we be hopeful? Because even if we die, we live forevermore. And God will keep us. So today, as we wrap up our time together and the worship team comes up to give us the last song of the day, I just want to encourage you to join us in the coming weeks and months. Even now, begin to read Revelation. Don't go past chapter 3 for now. But well, that wasn't funny. But um, read 1 through 3 a few times over the next couple of weeks and see if you don't start gleaning something from this beautiful letter of encouragement to us. And have a mindset of reading the words, hearing what it says, like actually paying attention to what it says, and then finally obeying what you see there and making it part of your life. Because it's meant to be an encouragement. It's meant to bless us to make us happy, complete, and fulfilled as believers. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this letter of revelation, how you are revealing to us your son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, how you show us that you have lived and died and risen again to overcome, and that there is nothing we should be afraid of, because even when times are tough, and even if our life is taken, it is still in your hands, and eternity is still certain. As we work through Revelation, I pray that you would help us to wake up Sunday mornings with quick minds and open hearts, and that we would read and hear this word, but more than anything, we would do what it says, so that we'll be prepared. If things do come raining down from the sky, will be prepared. When antichrists rise up, we'll be prepared. When pain and trouble comes, we'll be prepared. And not only prepared, but blessed. So help us to be faithful to this letter, taking it in, growing from it. And we trust in your promise of blessing when we do. And Father, if there's anybody here this morning who hears the word of revelation, who hears of impending doom and coming ends, but doesn't know the goodness of your son, Jesus, I pray that you would give them boldness to just talk to someone here this morning, to find a church member, to find someone that they know is, is a Christian, that they believe to be a follower of Christ and, and ask, Hey, how can I be certain of my eternal future? I pray that you would give all of us the right words to speak for those who are hungry for truth. As we close our time, we pray especially for our one, the one for January that we've chosen, that we've been praying for. In these next three or four days, give us the boldness, even if it's just to lay a track somewhere where they'll find it. 
the boldness to share the gospel with them, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, so that they can have opportunity to find eternity in you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you do need a track to share uh, on that note, there underneath the Choose, Pray, Share banner, sign back there, there are a number of decent little tracks that you could use to share the gospel with someone that you might know or love or have been praying for. So, Let's stand together as we sing.